Orange, you glad we watched the OC where we have both a tennis court and a pool. <laughs> I'm Sarah, and this is my co-host Evan, and today we are discussing season one, episode eight of the OC, called The Rescue. I have a couple of orders of business up top to discuss before we get into the episode today. A little housekeeping. A little housekeeping. I believe what's that that's what they say. In the business. <laughs> uh, the song we were discussing with the dogs farting last episode was not, in fact, by Massive Attack, which could explain why the only search engine uh, result was a dog with a cartoon balloon coming out of its ass or whatever. <laughs> the song in question was, in fact, Going Under by Rockers Hi-Fi. We at Orange, you glad we watched the OC regret this error. <laughs> also, you... Retraction count one. Yes. You, the discerning listener, may have noticed that I was ob- audibly not sober by the last episode's end. Um, I think I just sort of did the thing where I had a couple drinks while we were recording and went that is tasty and delicious more, please, without really thinking about the fact that podcasts are generally more enjoyable when one or more of the hosts is coherent. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I made it weird. And all of that being said, let's get into it. Let's dive into episode eight. I think this is the longest you've ever gone without talking. <laughs> You're welcome, Steve. (laughs) Okay, so I've noticed while editing that at the beginning of the episode, I say, I've noticed while editing, uh, and then I sort of have uh, uh, a commentary on the the patterns that this show falls into. And I'm not saying that they're bad patterns, I'm saying that when pat <coughs> excuse me when patterns reveal themselves um sometimes that naturally organically generates um sort of like uh, a process does that make sense no but keep here going. well here i'll give an example and this is a concrete example from this episode um quite a few times now when we've sat down at the very very beginning of sort of the dissection of an episode I talk about how batshit crazy that episode was. <laughs> um, I, I make the I make it a point to kind of say, "Hey, episode one started at an eleven. That's terminology that I've used multiple times now, and I can, I think, and I'll be curious what your thoughts on this are. But coming fresh from episode eight, we literally just finished watching it. I think I can honestly say. This is, for me, the first episode that does not ramp up the stakes dramatically from the episode prior. That's my take on it. No, I think it's more of a transition episode because we've spent a lot of time in the season of summer and not the character of summer, but we also spend a lot in the character of summer and we'll address that later. (laughs) But um, we have to transition to school at some point because these are 
allegedly teenagers who go to school. So this kind of takes care of a lot of that. So where do we open in the episode, Evan? Let me just really also say that. Thank God. (laughs) Because really, I if they had ramped up again, if they had somehow managed to take, you know, attempted suicide in Mexico up a notch, uh-huh. I don't know how much longer I would have been able to do this because there are, it is like a 20 episode season, right? More than 20. Yeah. So I, this episode honestly felt like a breath of fresh air. Like we still got, it felt like I got to exhale a little bit. There's all kinds of goddamn logical inconsistencies. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and yeah. plot devices that we do not like, but we'll, yeah. It's not like there's no, they haven't introduced like a teen pregnancy storyline yet or anything. They oh, haven't. Jesus, could you imagine episode eight if they episode. did that? <laughs> Holly's pregnant. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to say essentially, you know, to the creators of this show, thanks for a breather, you know? <laughs> and that's not to say that this episode is without drama. Or that this episode doesn't have important things that happen to the characters. Because that's the very important things happen. Um, there, This episode will show us uh, the continuation of... I gotta say, this was the longest previously on. Absolutely, it was the longest previously on. It was a little anvil over the head, wasn't it? Well, but... I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Because this episode draws from... All of the primary conflicts, except for one. The only one it doesn't draw from is the parental conflict between Caleb Nickel. Man versus wild? (laughs) Essentially, yes. That's man versus wild. It's man versus Caleb Nickel's animal lust. Animal magnetism. (laughs) And we, the viewer, are definitely too stupid to have been able to pick up on all of those continuing threads by ourselves. When this was serialized for television and it was airing live, was it a weekly thing? Yes. Okay. So there's a whole week in between episodes. Let's see. I have, my memory is awful and I can even remember. But to our credit also, we spend two hours talking about every episode. So that's going to have an impact on your memory, I think. Also, like people were into this show. This was kind of, I think, at the just the beginning of the upward climb to the top of the internet roller coaster. I want to say like oh three was mm-hmm. that like MySpace years? Yeah, you yeah. know it absolutely was. So yeah. there were absolutely like, uh, what are the old web pages? I can't. I'm drawing um, a blank. Okay, yeah, you uh, there were live live journals. journals. Yep. There were fucking. I was absolutely on Geo Cities. Yep people discussing this so you're capable of following threads from week to week if you're in this show and if we're being really sort of generous to the viewers of this show we and actually you know what here let's just say this because serialized television is a very specific medium through which to tell a story let's just let's just give the benefit of the doubt to all television and say the previously on is not for people who are watching the show. Right. The previously on are for people who are new people who are picking it up just then or people who need to get up and pee. Right. Or maybe the elderly, you know, myself very much included, you know, I'm not saying that I'm any, you know, spring chicken or anything. Like oh, that. the elderly loved the show. I can only imagine with the <laughs> amount of hip hugger jeans 
and just <laughs> all of the teen hip bones on display. Yeah, absolutely. I would have been tuning in every single week. Okay. So we open in the breakfast nook. Yeah, right. To sort of do a previously on, if people remember from episode seven, we were in Tijuana. Kirsten, uh, oh, sorry, Marissa had discovered um, Luke was cheating. Uh, she had a terrible time of it. Um, she swallowed a whole bunch of pills after having a bunch of tequila, and she was discovered unconscious in an alley. We had a little bit of a pieta moment. Um, come to find out, yeah, all right. So there's a tense moment in the kitchen of the Coens. Um, Kirsten is trying to keep people sort of on track. She wants to keep people fed. She says, we've got some bagels. No one is hungry, though. The thing that I want to point out about this scene is... Kirsten is waving a knife around these bagels when there is a perfectly good bagel slicer in frame, like centered on the counter. Are they trying to make a like a dig at Kirsten's lack of menschiness? I thought the bagels were pre-cut. We might have to go... Uh, 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 viewers, listen, listeners of the pod, um, <laughs> screenshots the opening scene of episode eight, season one, the OC, and let us know. No, because she was waving around like a knife knife, like not a butter knife. Yeah, no, like this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I wonder if this was sort of like an oversight on the part of the set dressers or what was going on there. I thought they were pre-cut. I think they're trying to say she's not good enough. What does it say? I was looking mostly at the bagels in this scene. <laughs> you love a bagel. And not really anyone else. I really, really do. Um, everyone is really nervous, though. That's what the scene is, is getting across. Um, no one can eat. Uh, the boys especially look very, very guilty. Um, but it's a big day for everyone. So Sandy has his first day at his new job, which he has accepted at the big law firm. Um, Ryan has an interview with the dean of the high school that they're going to try and get him into. What's the name of the school? Harbor School. Is it Harbor School? Is that it? Yeah, Harbor School. And, you know, then obviously everyone is also super scared for Marissa. So that's where we open up. And they get a phone call, and the phone rings about 87 times. Oh, yeah, and everyone's just sort of looking at each other like, oh, God, what are we going to, what, what happens now? Oh, what, what is that sound? What's happening? What, is it a, is it a dragon? (laughs) Are we being attacked by aliens? What, what is that strange, is a robot trying to communicate with us? Is that the microwave they're the little sesame street aliens trying to figure out how to <laughs> use a uh-huh. uh-huh. i will be eating rice krispie treats i'm sorry i will be eating a puffed rice treats that rice i made Krispies sponsor us that i made earlier i'm stress eating now because of this show um <laughs> do they pick up the phone or do we go to do we go to no they pick up the phone is it marissa it's not marissa it's is she like ah, i'm away <laughs> No, is it the hospital? It's the hospital saying that she's made it. She's stable? Yeah. I don't remember what happens after that. <laughs> <laughs> Do they go to the hospital right away? They, I don't think they go to the hospital right away. I think that's when Julie bursts into the scene. Props to Melinda Clark 
the actress who plays Julie. She absolutely owns this episode. Yeah. She is an excellent villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not like put stock as much stock as I should have when I first saw this series and how good she is. Yeah. Here is the scenery. Munch, munch. Sorry. Oh, oh yes. No, her, not me. Yeah. Yes, not I'm me. also munching scenery, but if scenery were tasty treats, uh, yeah. A, pu- a puffed rice yes. and a marshmallow treat. So also I want to talk a little bit about how they're styling Ryan in this episode. I feel like he's sort of his, outfit is kind of supposed to symbolize that he's caught between two worlds i think because the wrist cuff is back mm-hmm. but return of the wrist cuff return of the wrist cuff but he's wearing like a nice i don't know what it was with t-shirts and open button downs in the 2003s it was a it was a plague <laughs> do you have any thoughts your mouth is full do we go <laughs> <laughs> Do we go right to the hospital or do we go to the school? I can't remember where we go right We don't go to either of those places because Julie bursts into the breakfast thing and is like, I hate all of you and I need to talk to Ryan. Oh, that's... And she's like, stay away from my daughter. Wait, um... She comes in. Does she interact with anybody else? Does she interact with Kristen or Sandy? Kirsten. That's right. Does she? <laughs> yeah. She talks to them a little bit like, hi, I don't know what you all are looking at. Mm-hmm. And she's in a matching juicy couture tracksuit because hell yeah, she is. So that's right. Um, everyone is leaving and she asks to see Ryan, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan privately. And she blames Marissa's um, attempt on Ryan. Mm-hmm. And Ryan says, you can blame me all you want. But he says something poignant. Something out of characterly poignant. I don't know. I mean, he's a clever person with insight. Um, yeah. That they uh, they established that in episode one. I think I see it as out of character because they're really trying to hammer home. Oh, he has feelings and he expresses them. Yeah. Oh, look at all the feelings here. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then Julie makes it crystal clear. She expects Ryan uh, will not ever see Marissa again. And she pulls out the big guns and says if, or something along the lines, if you so much as ever see Marissa again, or if, you know, if Marissa catches so much as a, of a whiff of your wrist cuff, then <laughs> I'm going to put you, she says, I'm going to put you back in juvie where you belong. Do we think he's wearing Axe body spray? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, Dracar Noir. Dracar Noir. <laughs> Is it CK1? Is it just patchouli? Probably just patchouli. No, the the show is too homophobic to have a unisex fragrance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The notes that I have about the scene, this is my least favorite kind of writing a conflict because this could absolutely be solved by Ryan just saying what happened in Tijuana. I don't know. I I think it's sort of assumed or it's sort of um, implied that Marissa has already explained to Julie her side of things. And Julie is not in a place where she is going to accept that explanation as the truth. No, she hasn't. 
because we get to the hospital and she's it's uh, stated that she's on a very strong sedative and has been asleep for we don't know how long i think and marissa Ryan is basically, in the last episode, it was uh, demonstrated and shown that he can be teen therapist Esquire or whatever the fuck. (laughs) So he knows how to access feelings. He knows how to string together a sentence. Marissa categorically does not. Mm -hmm. So I do not think that she has told Julie what happened by this point. I think that she's just kind of maybe, if she's not on him, very strong sedative like they said she's just kind of glowered and like huffed at her mother as teen i i could have sworn because when marissa at some point in the episode says it wasn't his fault and julie says something like that's what you keep saying um i don't think i misread that but you can say it wasn't his fault without explaining whose fault it was sure and maybe she's maybe julie is referring to all the other instances of all the other things that ryan has sort of been accused of or has outright done or at least had some part in vis-a-vis the burning down the house the stealing Mm -hmm. the car the yada 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 what i'm saying is i'm correct well here's something that i also want to make patently obvious I think Julie in this episode plays the role of a villain so well because her motivation is actually pretty fucking spot on. Like the viewer, we are um, we are privy to what's actually happened right Mm -hmm. in every storyline. We know all of the uh, all the angles. We know all of the truth and the facts of what actually happened from Julie's perspective. It's like she says, she says, I leave for one weekend. And she says this to Jimmy, I leave for one weekend and you know, basically looks what, ha- look what happens. You nearly killed our daughter. Right. And so from her perspective, she also keeps saying things like since Ryan arrived, you know, shit's been buck wild. And like, yeah, it absolutely has mm-hmm. not for the reasons she thinks, but her mode. I like a villain with a consistent motivation. We talk about consistent, you know, consistency and characterization a lot on this show. And I think Julie and oh, there's a great there's a great moment between Ryan and Julie, but it's at the end of the episode, so we'll talk about it later. But he gets her dead to rights, and it's 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 nice to see her motivations consistent across episodes because one of my other primary criticisms is sometimes episode six being a prime example characters seem like they have been clearly written either you know by in a different voice or um, inconsistently with their actions from previous episodes or they've been written with a strict goal in mind of you know uh, serving a function in the episode that they're currently in, you know, does that make sense? It does. But here's the other thing that I'm going to say about the way that they are painting Marissa as a character. It is implied. I think that she was sort of buck wild before Ryan ever got to town in the first episode. She is passed out drunk. Her friends drop her in a driveway. If Tijuana is a rite of passage that every teen goes through, it's also implied that she went in previous years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and I don't understand why, uh, like, yes, she's sad, she's crying or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. but her behavior is not, I don't think it's markedly different from when, before when the show picks up. Well, Julie makes a really good point in one of the conversations she has with Marissa in the hospital. She says, before Ryan showed up, you had a boyfriend. You were happy. You blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and her final point is you were happy. So from Julie's perspective, she, and I think this would bear out, I think Marissa's interactions with Julie towards the end of the episode would bear this out. From Julie's perspective... Sure, Marissa was perfectly happy because Julie's sort of been oblivious to a lot of the things going on in her family. She was oblivious to what was going on with Jimmy and quite happily so. You know, she didn't want to know about business. She didn't want to know about the finances. It's like Ryan is the Matrix. He's waking everybody up. (laughs) When did the Matrix come out? Before that? 99? We're not going to spend... We're not going to Google. It's too late! (laughs) Alright, well, Evan Google. When did the Matrix come out? (laughs) In the United States of America... 99. 99, yeah, so this is post... We're in a post-Matrix world here. We are. Morpheus. I was trying to say that Ryan is Morpheus. Ryan is the Morpheus of this? Yes. And for you kids who watched uh, Sandman, not that Morpheus. Not that Morpheus. It's a different Morpheus. It's based on the same mythical character, but... The Sandman Morpheus was much hotter. You leave lawyer Larry Fishburne... Well, Larry Fishburne is... I'm sorry, he's hot. I'm just... It doesn't matter the the, the shitty things Larry Fishburne has done. He's he's hot. I'm I'm not apologetic. We're we're on Larry terms? (laughs) Are we besties? (laughs) Lawrence is Do just, and Larry like to go down to the links and so, hit a few? It's just so formal, you know? <laughs> That's his name! Seems a little too formal. It's his know. name. Larry. Anyway. You know, he's never gonna... Little, we, little, we called him Little Larry Fishy. L- Ryan is the <laughs> Matrix. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. For, just, yeah, to sort of finish my thought. From Julie's perspective, her little girl was absolutely fine. Before all this stuff. And we, again, from the audience's perspective, know full well that she was never fine. Yeah. She's never felt good being under the thumb of her mom, who's trying to live vicariously through her in all of her expectations of what her future will be. Right? hmm Yeah. I think that's pretty fair to say. But we're not quite at that part yet, sequentially, in the happenings of the show. Because we go from that confrontation between Ryan and Julie to, do we go to the hospital first? We we go to school. Do we go to school first? I think we go to the school. I think we go to the hospital first. Okay. Because the Coens show up at the hospital. Yeah. Right? Is that before? Who goes? Oh, my God. We literally just watched it. Despite the fact that not nearly as much happens in this episode as happens in almost every other episode, I still can't remember everything beat for beat. It doesn't super matter if we're chronological. No, and we have two listeners, one of whom has never watched this show (laughs) and will never watch this show. So there's that. 
it's fine. So we can go to, into the hospital scene because it's what everybody really wants to know about anyway, especially if you're coming from episode seven. This is the scene where Marissa is probably legitimately asleep at first. Yes. But wakes up while her parents are talking about what they what needs to happen next with her. Yeah. Jimmy invited the Coens to come and, and visit Marissa. Um they can all kind of see that she's doing okay. Jimmy looks frazzled because it's obvious he's been there overnight. Um, and he his does, haircut is terrible. He thanks Ryan for what he did because yeah. he said if, if and this is a nice way of them explaining how the fuck she got to where she is to be in the beginning of the episode. Also, of course she was airlifted out of Mexico to go to a hospital because of course she was. Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's hospitals in Mexico, you guys. But I suppose they weren't going to set it there, were they? But also, where is the money to airlift her coming from? Probably coming from Kirsten or something. Probably. I mean, okay. let's not kid ourselves. We're getting in the weeds. The Cohen's visit, it's a nice little visit that ends abruptly when Julie comes in and is like, the fuck are you all doing here? And Jimmy says, I asked them to be here. And she's like, get the fuck out. They were saying, you know, they're like, we'll see ourselves out or whatever. Um, and yeah, then she has a very heated conversation with Jimmy. And we see that Marissa's laying on her side and she opens up her eyes. It's some eye fluttering acting. And uh, the parents don't know that she's awake. And so it's very Disney princess eye fluttering. Like, oh, I am to consciousness. <laughs> oh, I am listening intently to my mother. Oh, I am listening to what is happening with the goings on. And Julie says, this bitch has to go to San Diego. Yeah. She alludes to, she does, yeah, San Diego, San Diego doesn't come up yet, but she says, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get full custody yeah. because I leave her with you for a single weekend. And this is what happens. And then the single tear rolls down Marissa's face. And you know what? A little bit of defense of Julie. She ain't wrong. Like she leaves the show for one episode and this is what fucking happens <laughs> under the watch of one Jimmy Cooper. Um, and what was Jimmy fucking doing when this was all going down? Being divorced, man. Did he kiss? Did he kiss Kirsten in episode seven or episode six? That was six. Okay. I think. Was it? Seven was Tijuana. Yeah. Was he painting in that one? No. No. Okay. No, he is six. He was preparing to move into the sad bachelor pad of sad. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So Julie's not wrong. Yeah. And then we see that Marissa's obviously quite upset. She pulls her phone out from the nearby drawer her and makes a phone, phone. call. And I made you pause it because we cut to Seth and Ryan. And what are they doing there? Ah, Ryan is studying. Because we we, we, we must have gone to the school. Yeah. We must have gone to the school first. Because so they walk in to meet the director of the principal of the school. That Dr. They what's her Dr. name? Dr. Kim. Who is uh, Miles um Chief Engineer Miles O'Brien's wife, Keiko, uh, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But anyway. I knew that. I definitely knew that. <laughs> so they go in to meet Dr. Kim. There is this... Seth in this episode is just a whole fucking thing. I don't even, in my notes, 
my notes about Seth are not coherent. They're not like Seth did this and then X, Y, Z. They're fuck Seth. Fuck this guy. Shut the fuck up, Seth. And well, that's interesting. Uh, keep talking about that. So uh, it, it's great because it's demonstrated to us that Seth's teachers all hate him. <laughs> Oh, no, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We only meet the dean. No, we don't. We sweep by his mom is talking to a professor, and the professor totally ices him out, and he's like, my mom's more popular than me. Well, I mean, obviously, Seth, what did you think? <laughs> and then when they talk to Dr. Kim... Dr. Kim says, always interesting to see you, Seth. <laughs> He's a little bit of an oddball, you know? He's a little bit of a black sheep, that Seth Cohen. It's it's a little sad, actually. It's really interesting that you have a different perspective on him in this episode. I mean, I'm never going to be Team Seth. I'll, I should say, at least, I'll be very surprised if they somehow manage to win me over to Team Seth. Oh, they're trying so hard. They're trying really dude. hard, yeah, to make Seth a thing. So, obviously, Seth has been one of the villains of mine in multiple episodes running now when we do Villain of the Week. But this episode, you know, I'm loath to defend him. Anything, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because he doesn't do anything like heroic or, you know, necessarily even good in this episode. Um, but I don't think he's nearly as shitty as he is in other, in previous episodes. Baby, he is... Well, I will say this. I'm continuously disappointed that he continues to pursue Summer. That continues to baffle me. I do not understand why this is still a plot point. Like, They're and, the and, OTP, Evan. And They're honestly, the endgame, like, Evan. Honestly, to my reading of it, it just seems like he's just wearing her down. He's just, he's doing the thing. Where when you listen to a song you've never heard ever before uh-huh. and you don't like it, but if you just keep listening to it because it will be familiar to your brain, you will start actually getting accustomed to it and then you can actually start liking it. Even a song that you really, really hated. And I think by pure um, exposure <laughs> to him... <laughs> He is slowly breaking down her defenses. Well, she's already kissed him. Yeah, but that was episode six. <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing made any sense in episode six. We can, if we want to, honestly, we can just say episode six took place in a timeline that just, just like that was, it was like the upside down. Did I, I probably actually said that, like. It was it was like it was like one of the episodes of Star Trek Next Generation or Deep Space Nine Uh where they go to the one of the alternate universes, like one of the dark universes where the Terrans have been subjugated by the the Tal Shiar or something like that. It was the end of St. Elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah, it was the last episode of Bob Newhart where it was all a dream. Yes. Um, So it is. Put in the plot that Ryan has to take an aptitude exam. Yeah, Dr. Kim is not a fan of Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Go <laughs> Ho 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 Hogarden. Ryan Atwood. Atwood. 
would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At would. You went to a private school for a high school. Did you have to take an aptitude exam to get in or a placement no, exam? No, because I was an incredible nerd and I had good grades. I mean, that wasn't just like a general practice. I don't actually know if I had to take a test. Or it was not. just like, give us the monies. Yeah, it was pretty much it was either like you can either afford tuition or you can do what was called work grant. Uh, so you could you could basically do unpaid labor for the school. <laughs> then they'd be like, OK, I guess you can go here. But yeah, so the the doctor is saying all sorts of stuff that the audience and Ryan are both reading very accurately as she does not want this riffraff in her school because it's made abundantly clear. The graduates of this school, the 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 children of the wealthy elite of this part of the country. The moneyed class. Yeah, they graduate and continue on to schools like Harvard and Yale, right? Uh-huh. And Ryan is not that kind of student, and Dr. Kim knows it. But Ryan says, give me a shot. He advocates for himself a lot in this episode. A lot. More than most other episodes. And it's a little interesting to me because more often than not, Ryan is sort of content to be where he thinks he belongs. Uh So maybe this is either an inconsistency or I could read it as character growth. Maybe he wants to take the blue pill. Viagra? He's young. He can get hard (laughs) without any problem i'm gonna there were multiple times in this episode where he hugs marissa and i'm like he is i'm gonna need us to talk less about the 17 year old direction (laughs) he's played by a 30 year old so i don't feel bad (laughs) when he hugs marissa that one time the look on his face or she hugs him i think she kisses him on the cheek that's what it is she kisses him on the cheek and hugs him and his eyes I'm sure that his pants made the sound of a balloon animal uh, being um, blown up by a clown. Just like a... Like that kind of... Because his (laughs) chubby just... Yeah, just going down his pant leg. Just a hot sausage just aching in his jeans. Anyway. Okay, so he has to take an aptitude exam. So that's when we switch to hanging out in the pool house and Ryan trying to study. And this is one of my expletive paragraphs about Seth because Seth will not shut up about summer while Ryan is trying to study for this fucking exam. And I'm really surprised actually that you, Evan, are inching towards Seth's side because Yo, hang on now. Okay, finish your thought. You love How him. fucking dare you? Finish your actual thought. You're 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 shocked that I'm taking the stance I am that he's not as annoying this episode. Ryan is trying to study. He's got two hours. Seth is like, but then she kissed me and I opened it. And Ryan is finally like, shut up. I need to study for this fucking thing. You dipshit. It's another prime example of people not listening to Ryan, (laughs) which happens a lot in this episode, too. Uh, Everyone discounts Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had had a, a preparatory inhale because this is the thing that we talk about. We haven't gotten to this scene yet, but 
there's something that happens that calls back to something that you, Evan, have specifically talked about. Seth is like, their, Ryan, excuse me, is like their little plaything. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't actually care whether he succeeds or fails. And we will get to that when we get to it, which will be shortly. We promise. So they are talking, the two boys. Ryan finally gets rid of Seth. Oh, no. The phone rings. And Seth says, you keep studying. I'll go get the phone. Picks up the phone. And who it's is Marissa. It? It's of course, yeah. And I remember I had paused when she called, when she picked up the phone in the hospital. I paused it. And I was like, so fucking help me. If she calls fucking Ryan, I'm going to lose my fucking shit. And who the fuck is that fucking phone call from when fucking Seth goddamn fucking picks it up? It's fucking <laughs> Marissa. Because of fucking course it is. That bitch. <laughs> and I fucking get it. But like, oh my God. Just again and again and again. Okay, Marissa didn't know that he had to study for an exam. She didn't know anything about him trying to get into the Harbor School. Did she know that Julie was essentially going to have him shot on sight if he came to the hospital? I mean, at this point, no. She just knew about her dad and how he wanted to get custody of her, but Julie didn't want it. All right, we can read it generously. We'll read it generously. And correctly. One of the uh, pervading themes of this episode is Ryan will drop anything and everything to get to Marissa's side because he's nervous about her and because he wants to be with her. So this is the first of those instances. He, He drops the studying. Seth said when they're out the door, Seth says, what about the studying? And Ryan says something like, I'll just have to... I'll just have to do it. I'll just have to be smart and yep. see how it goes. They get to the hospital. Do you have something to say? No. Okay. Yet. They get to the hospital. Uh, Ryan is so fucking cute. This is great. I loved this. Uh, he brings flowers. Cute little flowers. He got them from the gift shop. But when Marissa sees him, the acting here is wonderful. The eye acting, the face acting. She's beaming. She's like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. And she looks at the flowers and she's like, and you brought me flowers. Luke would never have brought me flowers is is what the face says. She never mentions anything like that, but it's abundant. It's clear. So they have this conversation because Marissa does know by now that she's not supposed to see Ryan. And Ryan tells her it's because Ryan tells her your mom talked to me and was like, and he says, I'm not afraid of your mom. And Marissa says, well, I am. Yep. Yep. Marissa also says, I wasn't trying to kill myself. I just needed to... Escape. Escape. Yeah. Because they love centering the title of the episode in the dialogue. Oh, I didn't even catch that. They love it so much. Okay. Ryan brings these flowers. Of of course, what happens? They're having a little moment. Ryan is sitting on the bed and they're talking and Marissa apologizes for what she did. And it's not a big deal. Ryan's just really glad that she's safe and everything is okay. And whose voice do we hear approaching down the hallway? Because of fucking course it is. It's Julie. And Ryan has to go into the bathroom to hide like the fucking body of Weekend at Bernie's. 
And Julie comes in. And is like, what the fuck are these flowers? What the fuck are these flowers? Where the fuck did these come from? They're ugly and poor. Are we ugly and poor? We are not. Marissa's doing a terrible job of covering up anything. She's pretending to have just woken up. She's like, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. And Julie sees through that shit immediately. And she's like, oh, they're from him, aren't they? He was here, wasn't he? Oh, and she says, uh, security in this hospital is abysmal. I'm going to go talk to the security. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Which is a delightful, convenient excuse for to have her leave the room so Ryan can get out of the bathroom. Is this when we learn that she wants to take her to a... It is. It's after Ryan leaves, makes his little escape, that she comes back in and is like, I feel like you should go to San Diego because I don't want to deal with you. I thought that was later because she calls again. Doesn't she call again? Marissa interrupts. Yeah, because Marissa interrupts everything Ryan is doing in this episode. Marissa calls Summer, who goes to Seth's bedroom. Yeah, that's all happening while Ryan is taking the exam. Yes. Yeah, so Ryan goes to take the exam. Summer, yeah, so fucking Marissa calls Summer. There's this completely useless bit of dialogue where Seth is trying to keep his mother from going to the pool house to check on Ryan or feed him lunch or whatever. He's like, Mom, he's studying. Mom, he's on a diet. Mom, he studies naked. It's a Shino thing. I'm like, who's... Yeah, it is doesn't this make improvised? any sense. Yeah. Is this... What? What, what dialogue? It it's not... No. No. Oh, we're forgetting some of the other things that are interwoven between these... A, the, between the, the scenes uh, regarding the A plot, which is Marissa and Julie and uh, Jimmy and their sort of future together, is Sandy at his new job. Uh-huh. This is the B plot. Uh-huh. It was Sandy's first big day as a defense attorney? No. No. A litigator? What the fuck is he? He is a litigator, I believe. He's. Do you want, he, he thought that they hired him as a trial lawyer. Yeah. So, uh, and if we all remember from the first episode where Ricky, Jicky, Jarky, Rachel, 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 where Rachel was introduced um sorry that's the, that's what my brain thought it was jarky jarky <laughs> this character is called jarky now <laughs> I, just, I don't know why my brain look it does the things it does okay you were taking a nap before we watched this episode it's fine so R- rachel and sandy pick up their old business their old crackling sexual yeah boy oh boy it is palpable their sexual tension is cuttable with um like a like a potato on a mandolin uh don't cut yourself always wear a glove and always use the guard when you're using a mandolin and i'm not talking about the musical instrument but also i don't know maybe you can cut yourself on a musical mandolin it's possible i'm getting in the weeds here so sandy <laughs> and rachel are at the big uh office uh sandy's I believe got you a mean nice jerkin sorry jarky and <laughs> and eyebrows are uh Jarky and eyebrows sounds like a Saturday morning puppet cartoon. It really does. Hey, Jarky! Hi, eyebrows. <laughs> so, oh my god, and eyebrows would have like movable eyebrows that would go whoop, 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 like up and down when he's sad or angry or happy. Anyway, um, Sandy's digging his new uh, his new crib here. Uh, he has a nice big office. 
They have a gym. They have a built-in gym. Which is a callback to something that we didn't mention. There's a brief exchange of dialogue when uh, Ryan Ryan sees the school for the first time and there's like... Tennis courts and a pool. A sign pointing to the tennis courts and the pool. And Seth is like, you didn't have this at your old school? And Ryan goes, we had a basketball hoop. And... Juxtapose. With... Sandy saying, "We, you guys have a, you have a gym? gym? And she says, you didn't have a gym in the public defender's office? He says, we had, we a, had basketball a basketball hoop. court. We had a basketball hoop. Hoop, sorry. <laughs> we had a basketball hoop. But it was only one of them plastic basketball hoops that you suction cup to the top of the door and then you can throw paper through it. You were just waiting to use this voice. That's all it was. <laughs> we didn't have nothing else in the public defender's office. <laughs> it was a kind of, it was a tiny little basketball hoop for mice. We threw eggs through it. We threw eggs through it. <laughs> they would crack on people's heads. We'd say, that's egg on your face. It was a big joke we had in the public defender's office. Hey, buddy boy. Anyway. <laughs> so the writers really don't think that we are getting the parallel between Ryan as a person <laughs> and Sandy as a person. So they just, because it was like cut from, no, there were a few scenes later. No, was, no, they were literally cut back and forth. Yeah. That was before the uh, the opening credits, I think. Okay. I can't remember. But yeah, no, they were absolutely cut back and forth. Cut, yeah, shot, cut, shot, cut, shot, yeah. Hey, did you guys know that Sandy was also a person from the wrong side of the tracks? Did you forget that we mentioned that in episodes three In the previous six? Leon also, Sandy says, this kid is me when he's talking about Ryan. And what else does he say in the previous Leon? You gotta have a plan. Exactly. That's also what he says. <laughs> sure it's forthcoming uh just big words that say you gotta have a plan and then like eyebrows or something i don't know yes so ryan is in the middle of taking this exam and it is somehow determined that they need him specifically because summer comes uh summer (laughs) seth is reading comics in his room here knock on the door uh seth says mom i'm naked studying a callback to his just stupid fucking thing that he said earlier. Summer says, ew. Ew. How many counts is that? How many summer counts are well, we at? Well, it's up to seven total. There was only one ew this episode. Okay. Uh, she says, ew. Sounds like summer. Uh, hops off the bed. This is my bedroom. She saunters in. She's like, Coop is in, pro- is in trouble. Um, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Seth is like, oh, I can take care of it. And uh, I'm pretty sure the song that is playing in this scene is Mr. Rabbit by Paul Westerberg. I know that for a fact because I own that album and no 16 year old in 2003 would have been listening to Paul Westerberg. So this very feels like the label called the OC and was like, (laughs) can we get this song in this scene? We got to make this Paul Westerberg blow up. We got to put it in the credits so the kiddies know. This Paulie Westerberg is going to be big. Pop quiz. Who did Paul Westerberg sing for? Which band? Um, Bright Eyes. The Replacements. Damn. Sorry. I tried. Boo, you lose. Sorry. Who is the singer of Bright Eyes? Connor Oberst. Oh, he's from Nebraska. Correct. Damn it. Okay. That's all I know about Connor Oberst. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So that's the scene wherein Summer... 
I, uh, yeah, for some reason, yeah, because that's right. Um, Seth is like, I can take on Julie, uh, or I can, I can do something. I can, I can help. And Summer's like, can you take on Julie Cooper? And uh, that's when Seth's like, no, we need Ryan for some fucking reason. This is, this is what I'm talking about when I am extremely mad at Seth because you cannot say in one... He was just reading was, comics! But also, he was there for the whole discussion. He went to the school when the Dr. Kim said, you have to pass this exam in order to get into school. And Seth turns around and says, I cannot experience another year at this school without you. You have to come to this school. See, but I'm going to turn the table on you now. What? I'm really sorry. And this what? isn't coming from any, it's not coming from a position of any love or respect for Seth. You love him. I still hate Seth. You love him. I would him. still like to poke his weird to torso, his long weird torso. Just tickle him a little bit. But if I'm going to read this, like I'm going to defend it. He understands. Buckle how, up, girlies. I'm really sorry, but he understands how important Marissa is to Ryan. And he understands Ryan's motivations and he knows for a fact Ryan would be really upset if he knew that they had a chance to help Marissa and didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And Summer, Summer understands just how important timing is in this because Marissa knows that Julie is going to truck her fucking ass to San Diego before the end of the day. So there is a window that they have to take advantage of. In past episodes in of this very podcast you have said that seth is out for seth yeah i've said that yeah i mean you can you can yeah you can you can roll back the tapes yeah i've said if that. if seth was out for seth nothing would matter but seth getting ryan in this school with him yeah correct which is why in this episode seth is not just out for seth because otherwise he would have said, Summer, there's nothing we can do. Ryan really needs to finish this exam. And instead, actions speaking louder than words, they go and get him to help Marissa. This is what I'm saying. You're making my point for me. And How I appreciate dare you? that. I'm sorry. How dare you? I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with myself that I'm descending, I'm defending Seth Cohen. <laughs> I mean, again, I will be loath to be dragged on board Team Seth. I don't think it's going to happen, but. In this episode, I do not hate him as much as I do in previous episodes. The thing that continues to just baffle the fucking shit out of me is why he is still after Summer. Why is he still going for Summer? It doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion at this point that the writers want Summer and Seth together. Mm -hmm. And so motivations of the characters, consistency don't actually factor into the math anymore. They're just going to be shoved together while, whether the viewers or the characters want it to happen or not. We can very assume that Seth had never kissed anyone up until this point. No, obviously not. Summer. Yeah, no. We can practiced also, on his palm, maybe. We can very also assume that Seth basically was an incel up to this point and has a very... Rich inner life, we'll say. <laughs> so, yes, he is built. There's up. nothing wrong with a rich inner life. So then this actually brings us to the next thing that I hate about Seth really, really nicely. Um, he has an idea about Summer in his head mm -hmm. that Summer, the person, does not match up with. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump to, okay, 
we're introducing the summer fetish GeoCities fan page count. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, this show yeah. cannot stop yeah. putting her in bras, in candy striper uniforms, in having her stick her finger in boys' mouths. Having her stick her finger in boys' mouths. I, I, they, this poor actress. So okay, here for context, Steve, so that this makes sense. They've the summer. Ryan is taking his test. He's at the school. Summer and Seth bust through the door and they're like, uh, Marissa needs your help. You got to come with us. Uh, the, uh, the Dean comes in and is like, what the fuck is happening in here? Uh, Seth and Summer, like, it doesn't look like what it is. He just what is really... going on in here on this day? Yeah. Um, and she's like, what the fuck? Uh, she shoes out Summer and Seth. Uh, and then Ryan's like, I gotta go. And she's like, what the fuck do you mean? You gotta go. You sit your goddamn ass down there. We are giving you this one fucking opportunity to get into this school. You walk out that door, young man, and it's fucking public school for you. And he's it's like, very eight mile. Yeah. He's like, it was never going to work anyway. And he tosses his test on the desk and he leaves. Okay. So cut to the hospital. Uh, Ryan and Seth are there. Um, they're waiting for their opportunity to go see Marissa. They were waiting for summer. They're like, we can't do this. We, uh, Ryan goes up to the, uh, the counter and says, we need to see Marissa Cooper and who should show up in so if you could describe what a candy striper is and what the context of that is, Sarah, could you please do so? A candy striper is essentially a hospital volunteer, but they dress in a very specific uniform. It's very, it's giving 50s, yeah. it's giving sexist. It's giving soda jerk. It's giving, uh, going around and giving the men sponge baths. Yeah. And it's, it fills a specific fantasy quotient. Yeah. For so a the, population of people who were born before 1950 who are writing this show. For anybody who doesn't know, this specific candy striper uniform is a little white blouse, uh, skirt. It's an apron over a skirt, I think. Yeah, so the apron itself is where the term candy stripe comes from. It's an apron with... Uh, it's peppermint stripes. Yeah, pinstri- uh, yeah uh, 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 pin stripes of red and white. Yep. So, and of course, the boys are like, because somehow this is considered to be like a sexy thing. I don't know. Are they doing like a sexy nurse joke here? It is not even shorter than a lot of the things that she's already worn. No. So this is like. She came from a tiny fucking jean miniskirt into that, which is actually much more. Um, modest, I would say. So we're saying that Seth and Ryan are definitely into hentai. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They're a hundred percent into, um, I'm not judging, not here to yuck anybody's yum, but they absolutely have, and this is dial up, right? These uh-huh. are the days of slow fucking image loading. You had to wait for the image to kind of scroll down. Right. Yeah. Right. Top to bottom. Uh-huh. Right. You know, we're. These are the days where, you know, it would load in like your JPEG would load in super blocky and then it would start kind of clearing up over the next, I don't know, five minutes. Seth absolutely has a folder uh, labeled something like boring tests or something like yeah. that, right? It's labeled like homework or something Definitely like that. Definitely chemistry. Chemistry, Logs. yeah, chemistry three or something like that is what it's, yeah, is what it's labeled as. Yeah. But it's nothing um, but slutty, um, uh, 
uh, nursemaid uh, anime, like uh, hentai manga, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But why put Summer in this? Well, because she's their golden ticket. She is going to, she's got her little cart with books. She goes to the, to the front desk and she says, they're with me. They're going to help me. They're going to help me volunteer today. And that's when Seth is like, yeah, I'm looking forward to sponge bathing the old men or something like that. He's like, want to get my hand on those dangly balls. Seth said, Summer said, shine them. Shut up. Summer says that they're going to help her give sponge baths. And Seth quote alley-oops end quote off of that and says yeah i'm gonna do that guy over there so this is absolutely gay panic count part infinity wars (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but this also brings me the she has a little card of books and this brings me to the i hate seth ballad part 74 (laughs) He picks up a copy of Madame Bovary that's on the cart and it's like, oh, this is a lot of, can you read some? <laughs> and he describes the plot of Madame Bovary very briefly. And Summer is like, yeah, I read it too. It was kind of a bummer. And Seth is physically, continuously incapable. Every woman who he interacts with, every single one, Marissa, the short haired Scott chick, Anna, that was her name. Um, Anna, Marissa, Summer, Summer multiple times. He cannot believe that Summer or any of them have a brain and or are capable of reading and forming their own conclusions and opinions on something that he has read and likes. Can I? Okay, I want to ask you a question. I hate him so much. Yes, keep going. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. So I harp a lot on character consistency Mm -hmm. and it's going to get more it's going to get more difficult for me or rather i'm going to ask for your help i'll put it this way i would like your help because i want to be able to draw the the distinction between character consistency and um justifiable character growth because i do not want these characters to stay the same I like it when characters grow throughout the the plot of a of a larger sort of arc, right? Are you asking are asking are you asking me to perform emotional labor? No, this is what I'm this is what I want to ask you. Do we think because let's look at what we know about Summer. Yeah. Right? Um, episodes 1 through f- fuck. Episodes 1 through s- the only episode... Okay, so episode one, she's a party girl. Episode two, she's a party girl. Episode three, she's a party girl. Um, episode four, she's a party girl. When is... Is episode six the birthday party for Caleb Nickel? That was earlier. I feel like that was episode four or five. Yeah. Um, in that episode, that is the very first time we are introduced to any of Summer's interests. And her interest is getting with rich guys, guys who are on the Fortune 500 list, right? Mm-hmm. She's even doing research. She reads Forbes, right? Uh-huh. That's the first thing. That's the very first piece of information we are given about Summer's personal life and sort of in, in her life um, and anything that she's looking forward to in her future. Mm-hmm. And that is being married to a rich man. Also, she has a stepmom. Yes. Also, she has a stepmom. 
But beyond going to parties, drinking heavily, and negging Seth, we know shit dick all about her. So my question for you is, this episode introduces to us the very first tidbit about Summer that is in any way counter to that sort of larger picture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is this just a glaring character inconsistency that came out of fucking left field? Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure the summer of episodes one through four, if you had talked about helping old people at the hospital, she would have said, ew, I don't feel like I'm wrong. I feel like this is extremely convenient No, to try and explain to the audience why the fuck Seth Cohen might have any interest in continuing a relationship with Summer, who hates him. Well, we've said before that Seth is a werewolf who has a humiliation kink. Yes, that's so canon at this that. point, basically. But also, it absolutely... She's like... Summer is a person who very much wants to, like, have the prototypical California girl life. That's, like, going to USC, doing all the things that her peers are doing. So, she said that a lot of the girls at her school do candy striping. And also, I think it's consistent with her character. She says she's read Madame Bovary five times because Mr. Smith or whatever in Unit 65 or whatever the fuck, it's his favorite book. Which makes me think, do the writers know the difference between like a retirement home and a hospital? Truly, how would someone stay in the hospital for the length See, of five again, times of Madame Bovary? That makes it feel really convenient. A but, little too convenient. But we have talked about how compassionate and intuitive Summer is towards Marissa. Mm-hmm. And they are genuine friends. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, she's prickly. Yes, she has motivations that are largely money, which to which I say, get it. <laughs> get it girl take take all of them for all of their worth <laughs> but I think it's consistent with her character and I think what this is trying to illustrate is Seth hates women well yeah I will say it continues to illustrate how yeah, shocked he is that women can have brains and interests beyond you know the typical things that he sort of lists off as you know what girls are into and he's continually shocked yeah, every single time. Just every time. Every time. Now, I will also say, and this is, again, not a defense of fucking Seth, but I was also fucking shocked that she does candy striping. And I was also a little shocked that she reads books. Because let's be fair, we are not privy to a lot of summers in her life. So, but I was, I mean, obviously, it's also like, okay, I'm starting to hate her as a character a little bit less, too. Because up to this point... The only thing of any actual value I think that she's done is supporting Marissa. But you do also have to remember that this character was not even really supposed to exist in the show. Mm -hmm. She tested so well in the pilot that they were like, but you're Seth's OTP now. So they're just, you know, building up towards revealing little bits of her personality. So they're candy striping. True to Ray. They get into Marissa's room and they have to figure out a plan of escape because they don't have much time. 
But the psych eval comes before that. Yes. So uh, Julia's hired a psych. Uh, this is the person from the clinic in San Diego. And again, I'm going to say, you know, Julie's motivations make perfect sense here. But and really, I do practices think- in Newport. I'm going to Google the distance between San Diego and Newport Beach briefly. Keep going. I really do think she wants to get Marissa out of Newport. I think she sees Newport as being full of bad influences. And the sooner she can get her daughter out of there, the safer she'll be. Uh, and I'm that makes perfect sense to me from Julie's you know, side of this whole equation. Uh, Ryan equals bad news. Uh, she can't trust Summer anymore because Summer took her to Tijuana. You know, like all this stuff. Yeah, you know, Luke is no longer in the picture as far as Julie knows. And Luke was at least one of the influences on Marissa that Julie thought was pretty solid. You know, could be relied on, had a good future, came from a good family, etc., etc. Okay, so how far away is San Diego from Newport? 88 miles. See, but in California, that's a long fucking way. Yeah. That'll take you a long fucking time to get there because traffic is goddamn terrible. Yeah. So the psych eval is very interesting. And I thought what they were going to do, because the evaluator is asking good questions, you know. Oh, and we learned a few things about Marissa's past that we didn't know about. Uh, she did what? She did some shoplifting. Uh-huh. Um, she struggled with an eating disorder. Um, we're led to believe and Marissa is sort of giving very kind of dismissive answers because she doesn't she doesn't want to give what she thinks is just going to be ammunition against her to put her in what she sees as what she quote unquote an insane asylum. I don't like I don't like that they introduced anorexia as a thing that she experienced because I've already talked about how this specific person's body gave an entire generation of girls a very poor body image. So uh, if you're like 12 or something and you're watching the show, you connect those dots. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, I can also achieve that body with anorexia. Let me go Google what that is. Right. So finally. It feels irresponsible. Towards it, well, it's also 2003. I know. Right. I know. So uh, finally, we're getting to the end of their little interview and the evaluator is sort of like, you know, you got to tell me what's going on. Uh, I'm not here to, to throw you under the bus. I'm here to listen to you. And you know, Marissa says something like, you know, you want to know what's really going on? Yeah. How much time do you have? And I thought what they were going to do was sort of put the shoe on the other foot and have the clinician say to Julie, there's really nothing wrong with your daughter. She doesn't need to be uh, admitted. Relocated. Yeah. You know, she does say there are excellent clinics here in Newport. Yeah. Yeah. So she does say something along those lines. But also she's just, you know, she's in a service sector. So she's in a service sector. And she also probably works with families that are worse than this. Yeah. In terms of entitlement, in terms of. I have the most money, so my child is going to go to boarding school in Maine or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after the evaluation, Jimmy and Julie have a fight. Um, Jimmy says, you can't just send her to San Diego. Uh, Julie says, well, that's what the fuck is happening. Uh, she says, I'll get my lawyer. Jimmy says, I'll get my lawyer. And he goes to call Sandy. And that's when Julie takes... Um, the the doctor aside and says, uh, we both agree, we're fine. Uh, I can actually take her to San Diego today. 
queen villain shit. Yeah, super, super queen villain shit. But again, her motivation makes sense. So I'm not angry about that. Yeah, we don't, we don't, you know, the audience does want to see Marissa leave, but I don't think Julie is just being a bitch about it, you know? I do think she's being a little bit of a bitch because I think that she also kind of wants Marissa out of her hair. She also kind of wants her out of Jimmy's influence. Like, she knows for a fact the only way she can salvage her reputation is to get as much of the Jimmy Cooper stink off of her and her family. Uh huh. And also, I don't think it's so much getting Marissa out of her hair. I think it's it's getting Marissa out of the public eye, you know? Yeah. Get her out of Newport because... Newport is a very small community. Yeah, and it's a den of fucking vipers sometimes, uh-huh. right? So, yeah. she she And I think she's right. I think her instincts are correct. I think Marissa would have been fine going to San Diego, honestly. But I also think that's a slippery slope to go down because an absence of someone who has been in the community their whole life can also be as much of a gossip centrifuge. Uh, It'll be gossip for a week and a half and then people will forget. Either fucking way, it's going to be gossip for a week and a half. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a factor Mm. now that we have discussed this. All right. That's fair. Okay. So we're going to switch back to adult land for one second. Sandy. (laughs) Sandy. Sandy. Sandrew Cohen. Sandrew middle name Cohen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Really quick for a bit of context. Earlier in the episode, we see what his new workday is going to be like. They give him a bunch of cases that he sort of poo-poos and scoffs at because they're well below his, you know, his abilities and they're below his sort of ethic. As rich people suing each other, basically, right? And rich people just trying to get more money and just bickering uh, between each other. So we get to see what his workday is like. And Rachel is, Rachel's not pissed, but she's like, Sandy, 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 you've got five out of seven cases are going to court. That is not how we do things here. We settle here. And he's like, Rachel, I thought you brought me here to be a trial lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer. And she's like, yes, 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 please. But if, if something actually merits going to trial then by all means go to trial but most of this petty bullshit just fucking settle suck it up she says something like i went to bat for you to get you this job and that struck me as a little strange because in the episode where they introduce rachel and this law firm they are fucking hunting him they are sucking his eyebrows to get him on that fucking team he has nothing to prove they wanted him but anyway this is a writerly inconsistency it really is yeah 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 for sure we do not stand anyway um so that's a little bit of context so then we get to go to the tiki hunter the, the it's a tiki bar right or it's a mexican bar or something we are the worst i apologize to every <laughs> spanish speaker in the whole world they go to the tequila place uh, Rachel and Sandy to unwind after the after the first day. Rachel has taken off her blazer mm-hmm. to reveal a very see-through, sassy top. It is it is somehow also high-necked, but lacy. Yeah, and see-through. It's lacy and see-through. Yeah, but somehow it has. Yeah, like the high neck adds modesty. Uh huh. But the fact that it's like basically paper thin adds a, a, a soupçon. Mm-hmm. Of delicious sluttiness, which Kirst- I like. Yes. Kirsten is under the impression that Sandy 
is having drinks with work colleagues. So she colleagues colleagues plural. plural. So she rounds up Jimmy, who is looking for legal advice on how to get custody. When Jimmy comes to the door, uh, he's like, hey, is Sandy here? I really need help, like, right now. And uh, Kirsten is like, no, he's not here, but come on inside and I can get his new work number. And Jimmy's like, "Uh, I don't know if I should come in because of the awkward thing. And Kirsten's like, you know, we've been friends too long to basically let this one stupid little thing get in the way of that. And I'm glad they sort of shoehorned that in there. Because it'll make more sense to me if they're comfortable being around each other as friends in later episodes, right? Mm-hmm. I'm glad they addressed it. I'm glad they didn't make a huge whole thing out of it because I think that would have been cumbersome. Right. Anyway, uh, that's how that's how they, uh, yeah. So they get to Tequila Slut Central. <laughs> and it is just her Rachel and Hisandrew. It's just Rachel and Sandrew and Rachel's blouse. And Rachel is leaning forward and right. giggling. She's and like, oh, you're Kirsten. You're so lucky to be married to such a funny guy. And also, this scene is meant to be funny because it is the two cheating couples confronting. They, no one has actually cheated yet. Uh-huh, but you know uh-huh, what I'm saying. Uh-huh. They're, the pairs are switched. Yeah, right. Kirsten got kissed. And Sandy is participating actively yeah. in a work flirtation, which yeah. there's not anything necessarily wrong with, but both of them have some. He's towing the line, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. The line is being towed. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Daddy, stop it. Sandy can tell that Kirsten is upset, and rightly so. Uh, Jimmy excuses himself and says, you know, oh, yeah, because Sandy's like, uh, Jimmy. Uh, just call me, call me, call me tomorrow morning at the office. I can help you out. And Jimmy says that might be too late, and he's not wrong because yeah. Julie really wants to snag. Uh, we do Marissa. not know what uh, Julie is going to do yeah. at this point. Yeah. So Kirsten is pissed. But before we go there, we go back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um. Ryan uh, comes upon Marissa. She's like, yay. Oh, no, that's right. Ryan isn't there in this scene. No. Julie comes in and throws away the flowers. Yeah. Uh, and is like, I'm, I'm so glad that you're cooperating, honey. Uh, it means a lot to me that you're cool with going to San Diego. And Marissa says, well, mom, you know, I, I just want what's best. And Julie kisses her on the forehead and is like, great, get dressed. Uh, I'm going to go make preparations or whatever uh-huh. she leaves they wait a few seconds then ryan comes out of the bathroom and marissa's like did i do good and he's like yeah kid uh and she's like how the fuck am i gonna get out of here and he's got the dress and the answer is candy a candy striper uniform yeah. and she's like you naughty boy this was summer's idea huh like, there's nothing sexy about these outfits. I do not understand. I mean, in a uniform, like, nursey kind of way, I sort of get it. I don't get that 17-year-olds find this extremely <laughs> attractive. I do not. For one second. But then we also have... The heteronormativity of it all. But also, Ryan 
has a little moment because he kind of peeks over his shoulder while Marissa is changing and she's like, don't peek. And she's like, they're looking me. And, and then we just hold on her naked back for a good, like, eight seconds. Because it is the kryptonite of this series. It just feels... Weird. Unnecessary. Yep. We all knew she was going to undress. That was pretty obvious. We didn't have to do that. We are also deeply aware that she does not need to wear a bra. So, <laughs> like, what's the point? Is that what that whole scene was for? But like, hey, girls, if you actually have breasts, it's a bad thing. Hey, girls, maybe if you're anorexic, you won't have to put a bra on before you put your candy striper uniform on. And then you save the money of not having to wear bras. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the environmental impact of all the bras you're wearing? <laughs> anyway. They're sneaking out, right? Yes. They're sneaking out? They sneak out. Oh, shit! No, she gets the candy striper fucking uniform on. This is what you were talking about before. They open up the room door, and who the fuck is standing there? It's fucking Luke! Does he have flowers? I can't remember. Yes. Okay. So I misspoke earlier when I said that Luke would never have bought, uh, would never have brought flowers, but it's fucking Luke with his goddamn wide tan face, and he's like, Oh, Marissa! Uh, and she obviously is like, get the fuck out of here, you fuck boy. Like, I don't want anything to fucking do with you. And he puts two and two together and he's like, you're sneaking out. And yeah, there's a half second mm-hmm. when we think that he's going to snitch. But Luke is not a snitch. Luke is many things, but he is not a goddamn snitch. So he helps them escape. He says, take the stairs. And they go down the stairs. They go down the stairs. And they make good their escape. And yes. where do they go? Jimmy's sad bachelor pad. Jimmy's sad, depressing, dark bachelor pad. He opens up the door and there are all the teens. They're all sitting on the couch. Uh, They're all looking basically like a bunch of rats. But we're getting too far ahead. Oh, sorry. We have to go back to the scene with Kirsten Kirsten and Sandy. Yeah. Okay, I'm eating the last Rice Krispie treat. All right, do it. So, Sandy comes puff, in. Puff, puffed rice treat. Puffed rice treat. Yep. Sorry. It's fine. Sandy comes through the door. Sandy comes through the door, and Kirsten, her... With all the energy of a snail on the way back from a funeral. Her posture is <laughs> ramrod straight, as the kids say. She is clutching a cup of tea like she wishes as it the was Sandra Cohen's neck. <laughs> he comes in, and she's like... How? She has the she has the posture of a parent that's been waiting for their kid to come home way after curfew. <laughs> Which is essentially what this is. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, yeah. like, how was drinks with colleagues? <laughs> is Rachel old enough to be served at the bar? <laughs> and no. so they have this conversation about trust and Sandy's like, she's a co-worker. I'm not going to do anything. We get along with her. I get along with her. Um, he makes a good point. What the fuck were you doing? With- He's like, you were painting with Jimmy Cooper all day. I, I trusted you. And I didn't say anything about yeah. it. Yeah. And here's the thing. Kirsten has had two opportunities now to tell Sandy mm-hmm. what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And she has elected not to. Mm-hmm. What do we make of this? Whoa. Swallow. Okay. I'm just, sorry. Sorry. 
No, no, no. It's, I don't know any public domain songs that I could sing to take. Oh, yeah. What space. do we make of this? Yes. She said, ample opportunity. We know for a goddamn fact this is a plot point that's going to come back and be, um, you know, plotted, uh, plot, plot pointed. And I'll tell you, I'm fucking shocked. It has taken this many episodes to not come up yet. Yeah. Because usually, like I said in the past, this fucking show introduces a plot point and you think to yourself, ooh, how many episodes would this simmer? And it doesn't simmer at all. It's like, hello, This pasta is uncooked. Like, if this is pasta and it needs to simmer for a few episodes, that pasta is not close to even al dente. That pasta is unfucking cooked (laughs) This pasta, the pasta of this plot point, might actually be al dente and cooked through by the time we actually get to fucking eat it which is shocking to me um i think it makes a lot of sense that she hasn't told him yet because he would i'm pretty sure he would massively overreact and potentially kill jimmy Um, would he would he because in all other aspects of his existence sandy is a mensch yeah who is understanding who is whatever Okay, yeah. There is, they've they've hammered a lot of the underlying tension between the two households, so maybe this would be the exception. Well, I'll tell you, he wouldn't necessarily be upset that it happened. He would be upset that she she, didn't tell him. It's lying. Yeah, it's it's lying by By omission. There we go. Jinx! (gasps) You have to spooch when we jinx in this house. Jinxes are not good podcast material. (laughs) So, so that happens. Then Ryan calls Sandy and is like, I need your legal advice on a thing. And this scene is extremely strange to me. It's really strange. They're trying to shoehorn in all of the parallels between the two, the adult and the kid and the whatever. But he just says... You're got. You're not gonna want to go to court with this. You're gonna want to settle. Referencing how Ryan, a teenager, should be prepared to confront Julie, an adult lady parent. Mm-hmm. But also, at what? It's a clumsy writing, I think, to try and because he says what he. I think what he literally says is, if it's one thing I've learned today, is you're gonna you're not gonna want to go to court with this when you're gonna want to settle. Right. Right, it's clumsy. They're trying... Settle what? They're trying to draw the through line from Sandy's day because this is the thing. They're trying to bookend it. Yeah. At the beginning of the episode with their cute little back and forth of... Because also when they're getting their photographs taken for their uh, for Ryan's first day of school and for Sandy's first day at his job, they both call it mug shots. Oh. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. So it's clumsy, but what they're attempting to do is start the episode with contrasting and comparing Ryan to Sandy and end the episode contrasting and comparing Ryan to Sandy. Sandys, they're just like us. (laughs) So that happens and that leads to maybe the scene that falls the most flat for me. It's such a weird scene. It's so weird. Uh, Julie is ushered into the Cohen's house where... What's going on here, Sandy? Why am I even here? Where's Marissa? Do you know where she is? Is she here? Because at this point, she's run away from the hospital and... And she's run away from Jimmy. 
No, she's at Jimmy's house this whole time. No, remember? Um, Jimmy says... Oh, right, 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 right. Yep. yep, yep, yep. And yeah, he says something like, you know, he's on the phone with Julie. Yes. And he says, yes, she's here, but she leaves. Yeah. And yeah. that's <laughs> when the kids are walking on the street outside. They said, the, well, what the fuck do we do now? This is right before Ryan calls Sandy. Yeah. Uh, Seth makes the joke, well... We could put you up in one of my mom's model homes. And everyone fucking glares at him. He's like, oh my God, I'm kidding. Jesus. Read the room. Yeah. Seth. Read the room, Seth. So um, Julie comes in. She storms into the Cohen household where she's been invited. She wants to know where the fuck Marissa is. Uh, quite rightly. Because it seems now like her daughter's been abducted for all she knows. So Ryan has been tasked to make the emotional plea on Marissa's behalf. And the scene falls extremely flat for me because she's presented with no new information. There's such a, also just the dynamic is so fucking strange. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan is sitting at the kitchen counter. Yeah. Uh, Sandy introduced, uh, Sandy brings in Julie. Julie says, Oh, I should have known that you were involved with this referencing Ryan. And there's, like, Sandy and Ryan are doing some weird, like, good cop, bad cop thing. Uh-huh. Right? Ryan's like, she's like, where's my daughter? And Ryan's like, I don't know. She could be on a desert island. She could be at a train station. She could be on her way to Canada or She could whatever. be in space for all I know. Like, it's just this What are you weird, doing? It what doesn't make doing? any sense what's going on. No. At all. We dislike it. Like, at one point, Ryan says, if you ever want to see your daughter again, like... My dude, that is almost actionable. Like yeah. that is almost a threat at this point. That like, is not the thing to say to a person who is in control of the welfare of this girl who you are obsessed with the back of. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this scene deflates. Like it doesn't make much sense to me. I understand they needed to tick a few boxes. Yeah. They obviously needed because Functionally, what they want to do with this scene is they want to get uh, Marissa out of Julie's home and get her into Jimmy's apartment. Yeah, that's the that's the conclusion of this scene. They do it so awkwardly. So we struggle bus our way through this scene. <laughs> Marissa finally reveals herself and is like, Mom, I'm here. This is exactly what I want. I don't want to live with you. Like if I'm fighting to try and figure out why the fuck they would they these characters would do it this yeah. way. Is for Ryan, because one of the things that led to this scene is Marissa said, if only she would listen. So yeah. if I'm like trying to figure out why this would make sense to do. And the only solution or conclusion I can come to is having Ryan use Marissa's words. Maybe they will be heard if they're coming out of someone that isn't Julie's daughter. That's the only thing I can come up with. But it doesn't person, make much sense. It's a person who Julie categorically hates, loathes. Yeah, and mistrusts uh -huh. entirely. So it doesn't make any sense. No. Also, I have two side questions. Number one, aren't 17-year-olds, isn't it like by age 13 in a divorce proceeding, you get to decide which parent you want to live with. Yeah, right. Something Does she like not that, right? have, like, a categorical say? I'm pretty sure that by the time you're 17, you can choose who you want to stay with. Lawyers hit our DMs. Yeah, for real, though. I'm curious about that. At Orange U1 I'm sure, on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure that that's... That was a fucking, like... 
That's so not on the radar of these writers right now, though. It's not. But also, on the flip side, kind of same question. Can minors check themselves out of hospitals? Oh, (laughs) no, I'm pretty sure she did so illegally. I guess she didn't check herself out so much. She she just just left. left. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, She wasn't so much discharged. Oh, well, she would have already been discharged because... Julie was going to take her. Julie was going to take her to San Diego. Okay, Okay, so there's at least that much. Got that. So, yeah, there's this concluding scene. Um, Maybe they just fucking did it because they wanted to have a final showdown between Julie and Ryan. Because there was that tense confrontation in the beginning of the episode. We also haven't talked about the Seth Summer dynamic in so far as... we have to? Yes, we do. (laughs) Because it happens after... um, Because Julie goes... This isn't over, Marissa. And then matching sweatsuits her way out. (laughs) And it's glorious. (laughs) So there's been kind of a conversation happening, arching over the episode. Seth and Summer drawing the conclusion that they, much like the Breakfast Club, cannot talk during the school year because they are from two different sides of the tracks and summer will refuse to acknowledge him. And early, early in the episode, three cheerleaders walk by Mm -hmm. while Seth and summer are sitting at a table together and they look at her like, what are you doing? Yeah. They look at her like she has like leprosy. Yeah. Yeah, like some sort of, yeah, skin lesions or like weeping pustules on her face or something. So that happens early. and physically nauseated by the look of Seth. After Julie is has flounced out of the scene, Kirsten goes to retrieve Seth and Summer. And I feel like this is just lazy writing because cut from Julie saying, this isn't over Marissa, Kirsten comes out. They go, Seth and Summer go, how did it go? Kirsten goes, well, it's over. Mm-hmm. Guys. No, it's certainly not over. No, it's not. But so they have that conversation in front of the pool and the lighting is dreamy. And Summer's like, yeah, we're just not going to, we're not going to talk to each other. And we'll see. Does that, that have happens. any kind of conclusion? I can't remember. No. Because then we cut to the kitchen and Sandy is speaking with Ryan and is like, I heard what happened about your test. Um, so you don't care about going to school or whatever. And Ryan was like, well, you know, public school is probably better for me in the long run. You know, isn't that what you said or something like that? And uh, Sandy uh, is basically like, you know, you're, that's not that's not the Ryan I know. Yeah. You know, the Ryan I know uh, who, oh, what did he say? Stood up to Julie the Dragon Woman. Uh, dragon lady dragon lady should be able to stand up to dr kim uh and that's what he does so at least he says uh next time you speak with her you'll have your lawyer present yep so he retakes the exam he's at the harbor school hooray we have one final moment of gay panic (laughs) and we close the episode what happens with the gay panic um i'm i'm 100 convinced now that the studio told them they couldn't say fruity because it was too derogatory, but Seth could say minty. So Ryan is questioning the pirates are the mascot 
of the school and he's like pirates and Seth goes yeah I know it's a little minty wow yeah that's very stupid I yeah. didn't even catch that I'm like primed and I have like a spidey sense <laughs> For, for gay panic? Seth being a fucking idiot, <laughs> but also gay panic on this show. So there we go. That's yep. what happens. Uh, the school season is starting. Uh-huh. Marissa lives with Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy and Julie, our divorce proceedings will continue. Yep. Um, and Kirsten and Sandy said they trust each other, and they're going to continue to trust each other, but that trust may continue to be tested. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Just a quick recap. Gay panic count in this episode is two. <laughs> These guys are here to help me with a sponge bath, and it's a bit minty. We have retired the Rosa count, as you know, because Rosa is dead slash does not exist. We have, in its place, started the fan service summer count. Mm. We are at one. The total use for the series is seven. That's of this episode. Okay. Episode hero, or MVP, MVP is the same thing as hero, right? Yep. Okay. We're going to make that distinction every single time just to make sure. I like it would be so extremely cliche for me to say Ryan. Yeah. But my criteria as they have consistently been because my character consistency is wonderfully on point. Mm-hmm. My criteria are characters who sort of advocate for themselves, have a sense of agency, and move the plot forward. Yeah. Right? It just feels like it would be so cliche to say Ryan. Now, maybe I need to change my metrics. You get to do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm working through this in real time with everybody. So I might need to change my metrics. Because... Marissa, to an extent, even though she couldn't necessarily use her own voice in the beginning to make her wants and desires and needs clear, like she fought for herself and Julie wasn't listening. She really, Marissa, I'm pretty sure, has actually been fighting for herself to the degree that she was able, maybe her whole life. Yeah. And Julie has never listened. And in this episode, it's probably the first time Julie has actually heard what her daughter had to say when she said, I want to live with dad. So I might have joined MVPs, but I I think it might be Marissa for me, actually. I was going to say Ryan. Well, first I was going to be a little twat and I was going to say it's Julie because she just does such a fucking great job in this episode. (laughs) Really like, and again, coming from the perspective of a mom that's, with all of the background and history that this character has, you You're know, a mom? well, no, I'm saying from, from Julie's mom, from her being, you know what I'm saying? She's, uh, you your know, maternal, her, everything about the fact that she's, uh, you know, from Riverside, uh-huh. uh, and that she, you know, uh, the reason Jimmy was with her is because she got pregnant. Um, sort of the social cachet that she struggles to maintain in her friend, you know, her peer group, Right. All of these things. A genuine mother's concern for her daughter's life. You know, these are all things that are impacting her actions and reactions in this episode. And, like, part of me really wanted to say, Julie's my MVP. Because she chews the fucking scenery down to the ground. I also feel like she could throw down. 
Oh, fuck, yes, she could throw down. She's from Riverside. <laughs> I don't give a fucking... I don't doubt. She could kick the shit out of a lot... She could kick the shit out of fucking Kirsten for absolute goddamn lootly she could. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean... The only thing that's keeping her from fucking tarring, feathering Jimmy is just decorum at this point. Like, she could do it. Oh, it's so tough. I want to say Julie, but I also want to say Marissa. Uh, And Ryan's a real mention this, but the reason I'm not going to say Ryan is because (sighs) Marissa's going to be fine whether or not he goes there. He helped, his actions helped to a degree to keep her in Newport, Mm -hmm. for sure. And it's very fucking lucky. It's very fucking lucky that he still gets to go to the school because he almost he fucked that up pretty bad uh-huh. um, to do what? OK, to go help a friend, someone that he's interested in. OK, but that's like it's kind of a dummy move, you know? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's consistent. It's consistent with his character. I'm so fucking torn. I am so fucking torn. I think I'm going to say I think. Oh, who is your MVP? Summer. Explain. Summer had the most ability to think quickly on her feet. Summer has uh, known Marissa for forever. She knows her strengths and her weaknesses, but she knows, like, uh, Summer's strengths. Not she doesn't know. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah, does, yeah. but yeah. You she know knows where saying. where she where yeah where she needs support, etc. Yeah, she. Heard a call to action and she jumped in immediately and she used her specific skill set and she read Madame Bovary five Five times. times. Fuck you, Seth. (laughs) That's my MVP. That's a good one. That's a good one. Fuck it. I'm going to be a little twat. I think my MP, I think my MVP is Julie. Boo. I'm just really torn. It's super close. It's super close among Julie, uh, Marissa, and Ryan. Um, Marissa's a little bit too sort of like I don't know. Uh, she she just doesn't she doesn't do enough for herself here. Now, to be fair, she's also recovering in the fucking hospital. To quote a Sylvan Esso album title, and to tie it back to a character's name, there's no rules, Sandy. <laughs> You can have triple MVPs. <laughs> okay, then fuck it. I've got trip MVPs. All right. It's Julie Ryan and Marissa. And All I know right. that that's half the cast, literally. But like, <laughs> that's that's what we're going with here. Uh, here, this is my MVP in list of MVP-ness. Okay, okay. MVP-ness. MVP-ness, everybody. This is a list of MVP-ness from most MVP-ness. <laughs> to least MVP-ness. Yes. It goes Julie Marissa Ryan. That's okay. my that's my MVP. <laughs> my MVP is this three people long. Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my head. It's a merch idea. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Okay. Don't uh, buy our merch, we don't have any. Um, episode villain. Episode villain. You go first. Seth. Why? I cannot stand how he thinks about women. I cannot stand how he's trying. uh, Not he. The writers are trying to. Also, we didn't even discuss the fucking Captain Oates. Why the fuck 
are we trying to humanize him? Like, the Captain Oates, Steve, is a plastic horse that is in his bedroom, just like on a table or some shit, and Summer is like, hi, you have a horse? What's his name? And the right, name yeah, first Seth is like, not, not, nothing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't name it. And she's like, Cohen, what's his name? He's like, Captain Oates, what are you doing here? Yep. Yeah. I, I cannot stand him. I, he is exactly the type of boy I was probably. No, yes, I would have been in love with him in high school. I'm pretty sure I was in love with someone very similar for a couple of years. And when I first watched this when I was 25, I was like, Oh, he has a plastic horse. I sparkle. Ooh, <laughs> I am done trying to please you, Seths of the world. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Eat I feel like we're not talking about the show anymore. My dick. Holy shit. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we've expanded beyond the uh, <laughs> confines of this little television series now, and we're starting to get a little meta about this whole thing. No, fucking everything about this show led to cultural moments and, like... <sighs> normalized tropes of behavior uh-huh. that should not yeah. have been okay. Yeah. And Seth was very much written to be a vanguard of that movement. Yeah, let me ask this really quick. If Seth is continuously shocked and surprised that Summer has interests and a brain, why was he interested in her in the first place? Was she just a pretty face and a sexy body to him? Yeah. A little prize, a little trophy to be hunted? Yeah. A little game to play. And named a boat after. And named it. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, my villain is Dr. Kim. Okay. Um, she, uh, even though she does play Keiko O'Brien in Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine. Or is she introduced in Deep Space Nine? No, I think she enters the scene in Next Generation. Maybe like a later season. I can't remember. Obviously. Uh, jump, into the, jump into our Twitter. Um, but anyway... Uh, she belittles Ryan. She's quite classist. Uh, she's quite elitist. Um, I know that that's her, her whole shtick is obviously to maintain, you know, the, the privilege and, um, of these again, you know, the top 1%, um, you know, and to sort of maintain the mystique and power of that class. So again, her motivations are consistent. But um, I'm sorry if this gets really, really annoying. I might have to grab like a thesaurus or something. <laughs> they're in keeping with. Uh, they're in line with. That's uh, fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, I think she's my villain. Uh, you know, it'd be really easy for me to say Julie, but she was one of my MVPs. And I think you know the villain doesn't necessarily need to be like one of the primary characters of the episode, right? Yeah, no. The villain can be, again, like you said, there's no rules. Yeah. No rules, Sandy. I think Dr. Kim is my villain. Yeah. Sylvan um, come on the pot. I'm obviously not a huge fan of Seth, but again, like we mentioned earlier, uh, he doesn't rub me the wrong way nearly as much in this episode as he has in episodes past. Well, all right. Yeah. So I'm very curious. Now we are, you're right. This, so this episode, like we said, felt like sort of a, a, a moment to breathe, mm-hmm. a more, a moment to kind of like regroup, you know, collect ourselves and set the stage in any other fucking show, in a modern show, yeah. this would be season finale mm-hmm. because it's transitionary. Yep. Now it's school. 
Now these are the things that have happened. Or it would be, if it was still on network television, uh, this would be mid-season break. Yeah. This would be mid-season break. You get three or four weeks of fucking nothing, and then it comes back at an arbitrary day. Yeah. Yeah. But we still have like 50 episodes to go in this season. So It's 105. Very interested to see. Ooh, because now that we're getting into school, we're going to introduce new characters is my guess. We're going to have teachers. We're going to have potentially other students. So, Evan. Yeah. In the previously on, they... <gasps> they showed us Anna flashed again. Flashed back to a specific character. They showed us Anna with the short hair who said, You gotta be brave, Cohen. No, confidence, Cohen. Confidence, Cohen. Confidence, Cohen. I thought they flashed back to that because Seth would be confident in this episode, but he he's not. not. I thought that's why they were showing us that, but he at no point shows any confidence. At no point, I thought he was going to say something like, I thought at the end of the episode where they were having a little moment with Summer and Seth next to the pool, I thought that was going to be his confidence moment where he says, look. Shut up, I'm confident now. Yeah, I thought he was basically going to be like, look, I'm into you. And Shout out the good place. We've gone through a lot um, over the last few days, and I'd like you to give me a shot. Seth is not capable of that kind of speechifying. I suppose it has yet to be seen. Mm. It has yet to be seen. Super fucking glad that this episode gave me a little bit of a goddamn rest. Now that it's done so, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen next episode. We're going to burn down the school. Yeah, right? Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see what happens next. All right. California California, Sarah. You just listened to Orange You Glad We Watched the OC. Recorded in Guest Bedroom Studios. Hosted by Sarah and Evan. Original concept and questions by Sarah. Recorded by Evan. Edited by Evan. Uploaded by Sarah. Please give us as many stars as the platform you're listening to this on will allow you to give us. Copyright 2022.